Welcome to Movie Oubliette, the film review podcast for movies that most people have mercifully forgotten. I'm Dan. And I'm Conrad. And in each episode, we drag a forsaken film out of the Oubliette. Discuss it and judge it to decide whether it should be set free. <laughs> or whether it should be thrown back and consigned to oblivion forever. <laughs> Yet, listeners, happy Kiss-a-Wookie Day, and welcome to the 79th episode of Movie Oubliette, the international podcast for forgotten fantastic films, with me, Conrad, obsessively collecting our own merch in Cambridge, UK. Oh, <laughs> me too, actually. <laughs> and me, Dan, <laughs> inadvertently in another snap lockdown down here in Melbourne, oh. Australia. Oh, dear. We focus on sci-fi, fantasy and horror movies because invisible force fields, flying coffins and trolls with droopy eyelashes are an essential part of any religious experience. Oh, of course. <laughs> Dan, how are you? You're in the lockdown again. Well, it's 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 a snap lockdown. It's only going to be two weeks. Uh, so we'll probably be out of it by the time this, this episode comes out. So, yeah, it'll be a thing of the past probably by then. Oh, fingers crossed. Yeah, we're still open here in the UK and supposed to be opening up further, even though one of these variants is sort of growing. <laughs> yeah, that's the same. Yeah, yes. They're up so, to Delta now. Know. Delta. Slowly going through the alphabet. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's scary, isn't it? What happens when we get to Omega? My... I know. <laughs> <laughs> I think it has to start over using a different point. alphabet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it does give us plenty of time to collect our own merch, which you can mm. get if you're interested, listeners. And this all came out of our forthcoming appearance on Iconicon, all things 80s pop culture online convention being run by our previous guests, Melinda and Michael from Retro Blasting, which we're looking forward to 7th to the 11th of July. Head on over to Iconicon online if you want to find out more about that. But uh, Melinda said to me, hey, let me know what your link is for your merch so we can put it on the website. And yeah, we said, what, merch? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So she showed me how to do it because I'm that dumb. And now we have merch and we have all kinds of merch. Mm, it's yeah. like a merch tsunami. Oh, like it's, coasters and it's great. hoodies and shirts and mugs. <laughs> I, I'm currently wearing the hoodie. I mean, it's, it's great. And it's, my, it's become my favorite mug now. Uh, and we also have the tote bag. And uh, my wife also bought the T-shirt. So, yes, we are very proud <laughs> to be wearing our logo on everything. So, yeah, check out our merch at Redbubble. Just search for Movie Oubliette. You can buy all kinds of things with our <laughs> podcast logo on them if you want them. <laughs> yes, please do. Mm. Uh, so have our listeners been talking to us and anything in the mailbag? We do, yes. So when we were talking about Byzantium, Well Then Let's See got in touch to say this is one of my favourite vampire movies. Oh, wow. It's interesting because I really didn't think many people had seen it and for it to rank up there I think is great. Mm. Yes. One surge of cold crash pictures. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. Hey, Serge. He said, my favourite part of Byzantium is when you get about halfway through and you're still trying to figure out the metaphor when suddenly there are three scenes in a row, like, it's not a metaphor, none of it. This is a story about literal freaking vampires. What's not <laughs> clicking for you? <laughs> yes. Accurate. Yeah, it's, it's true. Uh, when we talked about the El Rey Theatre from Night of the Comet still being operational, apparently... Mm. albeit more often used as a concert venue these days than as a movie theatre. Our guest Melinda Mock said, Super cool to see that. Apparently a couple doors down from it used to be a great Italian restaurant, but that is now unfortunately closed. Oh. Oh. Okay. Yeah, I don't know where the teenage comet zombies are supposed to get their after-show food now. But... Yeah, where are they going to get their Alfredo pasta? <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> 
Thanks for that. If you want to get in touch, we're available on all of our socials, movieoubliette or movie.oubliette at gmail.com if you'd like to email us. We'd love yes. to hear from you. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. But I suppose it's time to wander over to the Oubliette and find out what it's got in store for us, Dan. Oh, uh, yes. Just a moment. Uh, I'm in some sort of Russian Orthodox Christian church. Wow, gloomy. And there's a witch in a coffin, a floating coffin. <laughs> Watch out. Hang on, I just need to draw the circle chalk. Hang on. <laughs> Why? It's protection, Conrad. Okay, oh. I found the film. I'm out of here. <laughs> With the blood of the serpent, I shall curse you. Whew. Ah, I'm back. Close escape again. <laughs> mm, yeah. Soviet Russia. Indeed. What did you bring back from that uh, strange land? Well, today we will be covering the film V from 1967. Mm. It's a Russian film directed by Constant... Okay, fair warning. All these names are going to be pronounced wrong. Uh, It's directed by Konstantin Urshov and Georgi Kropakyov. Uh, it's written written by the aforementioned directors, uh, but it's also based on a short story by the great 19th century Ukrainian-born Russian novelist, short story writer and playwright Nikolai Gogol. Oh, wow. That's a pretty heavyweight lineup there. Yes, and it's uh, it's starring a whole bunch of Russian people that no one's ever heard of, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to pronounce their names. Uh, Leonard Kuravlyov, Natalia Vali, Alexei Glazrin, Nikolai Kutuzov, and Vadim Zakarchenko. <laughs> A valiant effort, I think. (laughs) So what's it about? It's summer break. As a student of a seminary in, I think it's a Kiev, Russia, are set Mm. forth to run amok on the local village. Uh, Three students, a philosopher, an orator, and a theologian, venture off the road and, as night falls, seek refuge at a small cottage owned by an old woman. The philosopher, Coma, shacked up in the barn, is set upon by the old woman and is magically ridden <laughs> like a horse and flown among the clouds. As they descend, he beats the woman with a stick in which she miraculously transforms into a beautiful young woman. Oh. Coma flees the scene but is called by name to see over the woman. Arriving to find that she has died, he is tasked with looking over her body over three nights. Each night he is set upon by her demonic form and other strange occurrences, with the third night ending in the emergence of the dreaded V. Will Coma survive the nights or V's big silvery eyelids be his demise? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I can't wait to find out. Yeah. <laughs> and we will be joined by a guest, so. We, we will. Hopefully they know more about this than we do. Yes, hopefully. <laughs> okay. Back after the break. We're joined today by our first ever guest from Germany, a writer, filmmaker, host of the Mysterium Pictorum podcast, and as an actor, the former teen heartthrob star of the Australian TV series In Your Dreams. It is Lars Henriks. Hello, hey. sir. Hey. <laughs> that was great. Thank you so much. <laughs> and a bit embarrassing. Dan, have you ever seen no. Lars's star turn? No, in- I haven't, unfortunately. <laughs> no, it's mainly big in India, I gather, from, uh-huh. from uh, the kind of mail I get. So oh. I don't know what they did with it. It was like a, an Australian production that they did in, in Germany for budgetary reasons because they got like state funding here. And then they dumped it on television. I think it was aired like really quickly and then gone. And now it's on YouTube. And ever since it's on YouTube, it has like millions 
millions of hits. Wow. And um, <laughs> Indian teenagers harass my girlfriend on Instagram. It's funny. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, it's unfair of me to introduce you with that because actually you are primarily a filmmaker <laughs> if you want to talk about that. Do I ever? Uh, visit <laughs> www.larshenrix.de uh, because then I do not have to talk about that uh, that much. Uh, everything I did is assembled there. Uh, I make weird no-budget features here in Germany. It's a whole thing. Uh, look into it. It's fun. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And your podcast, Mysterium Pictorum, that manages to have an even weirder backstory for the films that you discuss than ours, strangely enough, and it has the benefit of being true. Yeah, I tend to find my media. It's a whole thing. Um, but yeah, uh, I used to live in Spain for like a year and I used to walk the beach. We were close to Malaga. Uh, there's a place called Torox and Torox has um, catacombs, basically. So there's like an entrance right at the beach where you can uh, enter this underground compartment of the city, which is completely abandoned, but apparently <laughs> has been like a punk rock uh, scene district. And um, I used to take walks uh, through there and uh, was very disappointed that I had been too late to see um, this area's heyday. And one day I found a, um, a USB stick. Must have been a pretty new one because it's huge. I didn't Until then I didn't know... Um, that it's possible to have so much stuff on one USB stick, mm. but it was filled with movies and uh, weird ones and hard to find ones. And I was overjoyed, <laughs> but then somehow I never got around to watching them. And now um, we started when there was no perspective of ever getting out of semi-lockdown and ever being not bored. Uh, so we started watching them all. Wow. Yeah. It's an amazing selection of movies and yes. it's a fascinating podcast and really fun. You have yourself, you have Nissan, who is your filmmaking partner. Yes. And you also have a guy called Yarin, who, from what I'm hearing, it feels like he's a hostage <laughs> at the bottom of a well. And you feed him movies and scraps, maybe, and he reluctantly passes comment on them. Am I misunderstanding the situation? No, you, no you, you, you're creepily close to the to the truth, but we, 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 we like to keep that a secret. Uh, he's the mystery man. Nobody knows who he is and where he is. Uh, yeah. That's fair enough. Well, he's fascinating and so is the rest of the podcast. So Thank you so much. I recommend everyone check it out. The film that you've chosen for us, V, this is our first foray into Soviet cinema. Dan, had you seen this before? No, no. I, I think I've barely seen any Russian films, maybe two three yeah 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 same for me how about you Lars um I don't know how many Russian films I've seen not many I've recently become quite fascinated with uh, Soviet and post-Soviet cinema there's a lot to discover there but mainly Hungarian and Polish films that I've seen so far so this um, might be uh, one of the very few Russian films that I have consciously uh, watched and especially like being a Russian horror film from the Soviet era that really made it stand out to me. Yeah, it's supposed to be the first Russian horror movie. The first Soviet era one. I think there were silent films like before 1910. Uh, there even was like another adaptation of the short story V uh, as a silent short film. But this was definitely the first Soviet era horror film. And I've looked, uh, I wanted to find the other Soviet era horror films. I couldn't. Right. So to my knowledge, this is the only one. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was not a genre that was smiled upon during the Soviet era for Russia because I think it focuses far too much on the psychology of the individual. That's what I read anyway, that uh, it wasn't considered that it would contribute positively towards the goal of socialism. Yeah, I mean, they mainly had what we now call socialist realism, which mm. I think is a genre uh, that has more great films than uh, it is given credit for. But I don't know what it is like uh, whenever a state decides on what kind of film gets made, horror films usually do not get made. Similar situation in Germany right now, by the way. Mm, ah. Right. There's some great German horror, though. Uh, yeah, um, but like few and far between. Like, uh, what films are you talking about? Uh, I, mean, I mean, Nosferatu is long ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I actually didn't mind Anatomy or Anatomy. But those are thrillers. Those are, those Kinda, are uh, yeah, medical thrillers. Yeah, yeah. I, I love them in all their trashy glory. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, <laughs> definitely. I think they're great. Um, it's similar in, in Italy. In the past, horror comes from Italy and then... For some reason now, they just don't do horror anymore. They just do drama. It's strange. 
Yeah, I don't know what's up with uh, Italy. We have in Germany, we have like a very complicated uh, history with horror. Like uh, we used to have a strong censorship regarding violence. Right. So to this day, many films considered classics are banned and illegal to own or screen in Germany. Uh -huh. That has relaxed a bit, but we have this federal funding board where the state funds the movies and horror rarely gets through. So it's basically Soviet Russia over here, you guys. <laughs> wow. it's, it's the same situation. Oh, wow. <laughs> I had no idea. So going back to V, yeah, <laughs> this is based on a short story by Nikolai Gogol. Mm -hmm. When I was watching it, it felt like I was watching a traditional folk tale. It seemed like a like a Hansel and Gretel kind of tale. Definitely, the movie opens with the actual opening lines from the short story, ah. in which uh, Gogol says it's a folk tale that has been told to him, which is apparently bullshit. Like that's <laughs> that's completely untrue. He made it all up, and especially the character V which I think is, by the way, the weakest part of the movie. Um, but the, the, <laughs> the, the character V, he insisted that that's like a Ukrainian uh, traditional character, which it's not. So he made up his own fairy tale. Yeah, because it's been a popular story. Like it's been yeah. adapted many times. <laughs> to this day. Yes, I know. Crazy. When I started to look up some of the remakes that are going on, including the sequels that are happening as Russian-Chinese co-productions. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> With Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jackie Chan. Yeah. V2. What the Journey fuck? to China. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally what I said when I read that. Yeah, so there was a 2014 Russian-Chinese Chinese co-production with the British actor Jason Fleming in the lead role basically shows the story told in V in flashback in two parts. Yeah. I watched the first like 20 minutes of it and that basically V is over by that point so I gave okay. up because it was so terrible. Yeah, yeah. I was told by Conrad that you you tried to watch all the different versions of V, is that right? I did try. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I did try. Um, the 2014 remake was a disappointment already but I sat through it. Um, I've then only watched the trailer for um, V2 Journey to China and decided... <laughs> that I do not have to watch that uh, to talk about the original V. Right. Because, yeah, um... yeah I, I did end up watching Forbidden Kingdom, that 2014 version, mm. and it's uh, it's like barely watchable as a film. It's like all these like really short scenes somehow stitched together in the fact that they insert the Jason Fleming cartographer character in for like no reason. Like yes. well, why is he in <laughs> why is he in the film? I really like the creature design. And uh, if you watch it far enough when he was drinking uh, the priest yes. in the flashback episode when yeah. and everybody uh, became monsters. That's a great scene. Yeah. Like it's it's really strange. The the whole movie just the worst. The worst movie you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Apart from that one scene where it's suddenly it's just amazing for five, ten minutes. Yeah, and right. even the V monster works in the remake, right? Way better than <laughs> the original. The yeah. <laughs> Freaky. Freaky. Yeah. The original isn't a high bar, but <laughs> No, that's true. That's true. <laughs> It's interesting that we mention other versions, though, because this film was spurred by another interpretation of the Gogol story. It was because of Mario Bava's Black Sunday, mm. which was 1960. One of the reasons why they managed to get this one made, even under Soviet censorship, because they said, well, Gogol is a great hero of the Soviet Empire or whatever, and uh, he's been badly misrepresented in this terrible Hollywood movie. Actually Italian, but never mind. Uh -huh. So they managed to get an authorised, serious, literary adaptation made, and that's why we have our first Soviet horror film. Very serious, very serious adaptation. Well, but is it, though? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is my first question. How did people feel about the tone of the movie? Because it's sort of comical in a lot of places and certainly its depiction of its main character and also of religion is not great. Definitely not. Actually, I uh, had a hard time finding out anything contemporary in way of reactions to the movie. Mm. It definitely hasn't crossed to other countries like other Soviet-era movies even from this time have. It apparently wasn't regarded as something to show around. By now, it's obviously well-liked and well-known as evidenced by such a big movie like the 2014 one making clear references to it. But in terms of criticism, I haven't found anything. 
Interestingly, though, many of the people involved with this uh, movie were huge stars. There was like a medal that you would get apparently in uh, the Soviet Union if you were regarded as a great artist, like an artist of the people. And many artists of the people were involved with this film. For example, um, I am going to massacre these names. <laughs> Alexander Ptushko, who gets called like the Soviet Ray Harryhausen or Walt Disney, or um, there's a third name that gets thrown around, but he was like a huge figure. And And then the two leads. I'm not going to attempt saying the names. The young guy and the witch. They both were big actors. So there was some star power behind this. Yes, the film's directed by two guys who were identified in the opening credits as being graduates of a particular film school. And it turns out that they may not have been directors, or at least they're directors in the sense that Toby Hooper directed Poltergeist because this Alexander Tushko guy sort of looms large behind them as the artistic director and uh, probably called all the shots, frankly. That's what everyone keeps saying. Mm. Um, I've ordered uh, one of the great new Blu-ray editions that uh, were released of this film, which apparently gets rediscovered right now. I've gone through all the extra materials. I could not find an interview with anyone involved with it or, or anything like that. Like, um, I have... A clip of Richard Stanley talking about it, which, okay. Um, <laughs> and then a short documentary about uh, genre cinema in Russia in general. Mm. Cool. But everybody <laughs> I heard talking about the movie or I read writing about the movie uh, assumes for some reason, just because he was so famous and because the other two guys didn't really make many movies after this. So, um, yeah, it, it seems quite safe to um, assume that Tushko is the auteur here. Mm. Mm, yeah, he's someone I hadn't heard of. I didn't know he was so renowned as the Soviet Walt Disney. Uh, so he, he started off with puppets. And then stop motion animation, and then he, I guess, he transitioned to um, live action cinema. But yeah, his his visual style is is very evident in this movie. It's nothing I'd ever seen so old. Like it seems much more recent visually with its um, effects and and just the horror aspect um, was something that I hadn't seen in the 60s. Yeah, I love the creativity and, and the variety of mm. the effects. Like you can see how a lot of them were achieved, but on me that had the effect of like thinking, wow, and now this technique and now that's how interesting. Yeah, yeah. some of them are more successful than others. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What was it? The skeleton where you can see the, the black bits on the sides where the... Yeah. Yeah, obviously the, the, the hands. puppet yeah. skeletons. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and sometimes like the rotating sets I thought were quite good when people were running out in the wild and it's clearly just like a, a set that's on a turntable that's just yeah. revolving round and round. But it's, I don't know, it's kind of charming I loved in a way it. and creates its own visual style. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Me too, it has like this handcrafted mm. uh, element to it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, to me, it did actually feel like a stage play. Often there weren't any two shots. It was all medium to wide shots of dialogue. Um, the only thing that was very cinematic was the witch scenes mm. uh, when she was like attacking him and there was that revolving camera movement that I've never seen in something from the 60s before. Yeah, it went so fast and yeah. it went on for so long. Yeah. But yeah, I, I thought the same thing. The only time they ever did anything with the camera at all were those horror scenes. Mm, yeah. And apart from that, it was... Yeah, mainly just a lot just of static. Yeah. Wide shots of yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, yes. I had to laugh when there is a scene where the composer goes absolutely crazy as though it's an action scene because the main character Coma is um, running away from his first encounter with the witch, and he's running across a field, and it's just a medium long shot of him running across <laughs> a scrubby, crappy <laughs> field, and the music's going crazy. It just holds yes. on this static <laughs> shot, and it's like this is an action scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like. Nothing is happening, but the music is suggesting mayhem. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just like a different cinema style. You know, back then there weren't as many edits and cuts, and it was still a lot of legacy stuff from you know stage plays and stuff on stage. But the music does do a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of action and suspense with this movie. And I was confused as well because the composer is Kachaturian, but it's not the famous Kachaturian. No. It's his nephew, <laughs> which I didn't realize until I was looking him up. I was like, oh, that makes sense. But that nephew did a fine job, didn't he? Oh, it's great. Yeah. It's actually good, the score. Yeah. yeah. At times it sounded to me like the score was explaining the tone of the movie. Yes. Mm. Like the, the, the score was so goofy, so you would know. 
no, this actually isn't ridiculous. This is meant as a joke. Yeah. Um, I like that. Yeah. yeah. There were some nice little moments in there in terms of goofy moments, because we were talking about the tone being very, <laughs> very uneven. So you, you have your three uh, seminary students, uh, seminarians, wandering around in the dark, and they end up in this uh, old crone's farmhouse, sleeping in separate rooms. And the, our main character, Coma, is approached by the old hag, and, and he thinks that she's after sex. And the music is kind of goofy and funny. And mm. at one point, he's backing away from her and his head hits I think it's a cowbell and it's perfectly in time with the music oh, yes. so it's almost like a, an extra percussion ad and I'm thinking so am I supposed to be scared or am I supposed to laugh at the man trying to fend off the old lady I don't, I don't understand what I'm supposed to be feeling here yeah this is a reaction I normally get watching foreign cinema <laughs> uh, like especially Eastern European or, or Asian cinema they do like to mix humour with very dark imagery at the same time. And that's kind of what I enjoy watching these types of films being sort of uh, introduced to different cultures and different folklore, even though this is not real folklore. <laughs> even even the fact that she starts riding him and he just gallops away and she's like waving this big broomstick around. It's just like, <laughs> what is going on here? I mean, to me, I thought, okay, the metaphor is clear. Um, mm. I, I guess I know what this is about, which made it like the least offensive rape scene I've ever seen. <laughs> or maybe, maybe even one of the more offensive ones because it was played for laughs and it was funny. It was very lighthearted. Mm. They later told him the story of another man being ridden by the daughter like after that whole scene it turns out she's a young woman actually and then uh, the other guys tell him about another man who was ridden by her and uh, I don't know dried up shriveled up or something uh -huh. Th that, that was all very weird but uh, yeah I um, I love the tone of this being so um, mainly comedic but in there there are all these very serious and dark topics this is an early instance of folk horror right like sure. uh, yes. The Wicker Man, like Midsommar. And those films too, despite not being foreign, um, depending on where you're from, but <laughs> The Wicker Man too, I think, has this weird tone where it's mainly funny, but it's about such dark topics. Mm, and and sure. Midsommar too, until it gets really awful, there's a lot of stuff in there where I thought, this is just ridiculous. This is very, very funny. Yeah. So um, this seems to be uh, a tone that, that may come with uh, folk horror. Right, yes. Yeah. And it shares some of the most common strands of those. Like, particularly with Midsommar, I was noticing that here again, our main character ends up in a village and it's all these wide open spaces all around and this community and you feel like he should be able to get away. He shouldn't be trapped there. But he is. Mm. So it's horror in a wide open space. Yeah, right. It's daylight horror and, and, and very colorful. So um, similar in that vein to Midsommar and The Wicker Man. Mm. Going back to the horror imagery in this movie, um, I'd never seen anything so sort of overt. Like I've seen like haunting movies, but you don't see the ghost. You just see like a chair move. They're kind of comical and not really that serious and not that scary. But this is like some of the witch scenes are really terrifying. Mm. And especially the first scene where she's kind of revolving around him and like, is she pressing up against glass? I don't... Yeah. There's one part where I think I see his reflection. Yeah. What's going I, on I, I think there actually was glass between them. Yeah. When I watched it, I thought, she's a great mime. Uh, um, right. Which still she is. I think she does some great, like, physical stuff. Uh -huh. uh, yeah. Right? Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So in terms of horror, like, I, I was thinking, wow, this came before The Exorcist. This came before Evil Dead. This came before Pan's Labyrinth and a lot of the famous Japanese horror as well that have that sort of villain, the scary character being a young girl. Were those movies influenced by this movie, I wonder? Well, it's difficult to imagine so because this movie wasn't seen very widely outside Soviet Russia, it doesn't seem. So sure. I, I think it emerged on DVD in the UK after the fall of communism when there was more of an effort to sort of preserve and export great Russian movies. But I'm not sure whether it would have been widely seen before that. So I think it's sort of, it's more likely that it stems from the same folk horror traditions, maybe. Yeah, right. probably. Okay. It felt kind of influential to me too. Mm. Like, I, I thought this seems like it must have inspired that other thing in an old horror film. Um, yes. But yeah, they probably can't have watched it. And in general, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Evil Dead, 
the tone reminded me so much of Sam Raimi's films. Like, mm. this could have been made by a 60s Sam Raimi. Yes. Even the craziness to which it all goes and the weirdness of the villagers and all of that <laughs> is just so... And the camera movements. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so I, I wonder if Sam Raimi has, I don't know, made a journey to Russia. And <laughs> <laughs> But one film that could be influenced by this is a more recent one. Have you guys seen um, The Autopsy of Jane Doe? Uh, yes. yes. Yes, I have. That reminded me of this one. Uh. Because of the dead girl that you don't know whether she's dead or yeah. she's not dead. Yeah. She's a witch, right? Yeah. She's a dead witch yeah. who who wreaks havoc, yeah. which is more or less the same villain. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't pick the comparison, but yeah, they're very, very similar. I mean, it's not an autopsy, but yeah, yeah, there's a dead body, they're watching over, and then she comes alive, and she's a witch. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, there's another film we watched recently called The Vigil, which has somebody watching over a dead body and mm. being haunted, but that turns out to be a, a third party that's doing the nastiness. So it's a misdirection. The dead body is a, a red herring almost. Yeah, but that does have religious elements in that movie, similar to this one. Very much so. It's a, it's a fascinating movie. Mm. But Speaking of religion and the vigil, I've only read about the vigil. I was wondering, um, I thought this whole thing, the vigil, I thought that was a Jewish thing. Mm. But uh, in this film, it's Orthodox uh, Christians doing it. So apparently I was wrong. Yeah, I don't know anything about Orthodox Christianity. So no. Yeah, me neither. But uh, whenever I watch a, um, like whenever I watch a Soviet era film about um, uh, Orthodox Christianity, <laughs> I've, I've seen two. <laughs> uh, it always looks great. <laughs> right. Like not like I want to join them, but, but, but like visually striking. They do lots of uh, interesting looking things. Yes, yes. But not presented very positively. No. And I think this is probably another thing that stems from the Soviet backing of this movie that yes. organized religion is seen as fundamentally corrupt you see them being bribed you see them being lazy you see them and they're not particularly chased either no. because as soon as the students are let out at the beginning of the movie for their summer vacation they immediately start sexually harassing and groping the women in the mind yeah yeah just just running rife in the village just stealing food yeah they are definitely not uh, seen as i don't know holy men or anything like that yeah yeah no not at all uh, they're getting drunk they're they're trying to get with women and the fact that the coma character he i guess he commits a murder yeah but he doesn't own up to it at all yeah. So, yeah. And they constantly use their affiliation with the church as kind of a status thing to make other people uh, give them what they want. Um, mm. So, yeah, I think there's a clear message there. There is, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Which, by the way, gets a bit muddled in the end. Like, I think this is typical for films of the era. There's a didactic scene in the end where, where the message gets explained or something. And uh, in that scene, two people talk about the protagonist being dead. And one of them says, well, it, that all wouldn't have happened uh, had he been really faithful and not been scared of the witch. So was the message be more Christian? <laughs> right. <laughs> because it didn't look like it for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was confused by the themes as well. I, I thought, was the moral of the story just to be braver? <laughs> you know, don't be scared of scary witches that float around and throw coffins at you? <laughs> I, I don't know. I thought it was strange. I mean, it was the message religion versus witchcraft like paganism rules is that the message it was kind of anti-paganism too wasn't it like paganism was witches and lots of monsters and yeah it's all bad <laughs> i think is the message how did you guys feel about the main character i mean he's pretty much an anti-hero isn't he yes, because yes. he's yeah. drunk he's a coward he tries to escape multiple times he lies and he just seems to have no redeeming features whatsoever. He's just a cowardly person who believes in nothing other than what he needs to believe in to get him through the next moment. Yeah. For me, it was just classic folk tale ending. It's a lesson. <laughs> They've got faults uh, and then they die. Uh, that's, the, that's the moral yeah. of pretty much all folk tales. <laughs> His only redeeming quality is being played by a quite funny actor mm. who does the whole being scared thing well, I think. Like, he makes him not likable, but almost approaching likable in moments so that you can be at least a bit engaged in, in his fate when he tries to escape 
again and again. Mm. But yeah, the, the character is just a dick all around. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And to everyone, like casually, like he's the one who kicks the pig, right? In the beginning, <laughs> oh, later, yeah. there, there's some boy cleaning uh, the floor in his school and he just puts his feet in there. Yeah. He has no regard for anyone. Right. So um, <laughs> he kind of deserves everything. Yeah, not a great character. We also don't have great female characters in the movie. We always <laughs> like to, you know, run the Bechdel test. Yeah. Doesn't score highly, does no. it? <laughs> <laughs> No. So our only female characters are wailing villager ladies, an old crone who rapes our main character and then gets beaten to death, and then turns out to be a young evil witch. That's it, isn't it? Yeah. I think that's yeah, it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, Gogol famously hated women. Oh, um, right. <laughs> and I think the 2014 version was worse. Because, um, I don't know if you guys remember, but everybody kept saying in that movie, all women are witches, all women are witches. Oh, yes, and they, they were did. right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think there is a possible, quote-unquote, feminist reading of this film. Uh, because you see these guys harassing women in the beginning, then they, or, or mm. he especially, gets harassed back. Then he kills a woman, um, and then he gets severely punished for that. So, um all the uh, misogynists in the film, um, their misogyny is their downfall, or his. Yes. Let's, mm. let's be yes. specific. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I I think back then, I don't think it would have been viewed like that. No. I think it would have been viewed. No. You know, <laughs> witchcraft is evil, religion is good. Yeah. Um, but now, I think, especially with all of that J horror, um, with vengeful female demons like the Ring and the Grudge. I think, yes. It kind of ages well, probably unintentionally. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now it's time for Random Trivia. Normally I do trivia, but today, Conrad, you've got the tasty morsel. What do you have for us? Yes, yeah, so one of the Russian actors, I mean, as Lars has mentioned, many of these actors received medals because of their commitment to Soviet cinema. But uh, one of them got an even higher accolade, Vladimir Salnikov, who plays Gorobex, the younger of the two seminary students Coma's travelling with at the beginning of the movie. He appeared as a guard in Police Academy Mission to Moscow in 1994. <laughs> the best sequel. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the last one that even undermined that franchise. Yeah. So he actually escaped uh, his local cinema to make it big in Hollywood. So well done, mm. Vladimir. <laughs> great, great. <laughs> Did you have any trivia at all, Lars? I've read the IMDb trivia section. <laughs> oh, yes. In which it mentioned that the the actor playing V was a was a circus artist, ah. which did nothing. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it could have been anyone. All you had yeah. to do was walk really slowly forward. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I could have done that. <laughs> yep. And that's our trivia. Yes. So how did people feel about the horror of this movie? Um, I particularly thought the one thing that was effective and something that was shared oddly enough by the Blair Witch Project is how you become more and more nervous about each successive night that he's sort of trying to distract himself during the day because he's got to pray over this dead body for three nights in a row and every night just gets worse and worse and more uh, sort of intense mm. in terms of the supernatural things that happen. I thought that worked quite well in terms of the escalation. I liked the lore of the nights. You know, this is classic folktale. You know, you have your rules, you've got three nights, every night gets progressively worse. To me... I guess because they were really pushing the visuals, they got progressively worse, like not <laughs> as scary. Yeah. Like <laughs> the first night was the scariest to me. The second one was, yeah, it was pretty scary, but you could obviously see the blue screen effects and the coffin wasn't actually flying around. And then the third night was just like, oh, I know they're pulling out all stops, but I know everyone's got makeup on. You could see the like the makeup lines around the eyes. Some of the effects were good. The hands, how they were like huge, massive hands around him. That was done pretty well. But yeah, 
V. <laughs> the ultimate lit down for a monster. Come yeah. on. Yeah. It's not the greatest uh, end level boss, is it? Really? Terrible. <laughs> like with his hands, there's a German TV character, Bernd das Brot, Burnt the Brat. Oh, the bread. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, no, oh, oh, oh you, yeah. You, you, you know him? <laughs> yeah. He, he com- constantly complains about not having arms because his ha- hands are right at his body. So he always says, My arms are too short. Yeah. Um, and, and V is Burnt the Bread. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the worst creature design. Like yeah. he looked like he was just like a big duct taped blob <laughs> with these kind of heavy, squishy eyelids that didn't even really look like eyelids. And oh, the eyes as well, like yeah. just silver spray painted balls, pretty much. Uh, Why make such a big deal out of them? Not scary. Yeah, <laughs> I thought the film was creepiest in the beginning when they were uh, in the witch's house, and and oh, before yes. that when they were walking through the swamp. Those shots were kind of moody. And I was still thinking I was in for a witchy folk horror. I was thinking about The Witch by Robert Eggers, and I thought, oh, is wow. this going to be something <laughs> like that? No, no, it's not. It's not. It's not. No, but uh, in those scenes, I think the, the the movie was scariest, and I don't think they were trying to be very scary later. But um, maybe I'm wrong. I tend to give too much credit to filmmakers. <laughs> but the three nights thing, when he came out of the church after the second night. He would uh, ask the people to make music so he could dance. Uh-huh. And I thought, he's just having a regular Berlin weekend. <laughs> so he starts into the first night, sniffs some stuff uh, up his nose, um, that stays awake all night, all during the next day and the next night. And then he wants to dance. And then he just dances pretty much like uh, people uh, in the club on a Sunday morning actually would dance. Right. So, um, yeah. <laughs> and then on the third day, just eats and doesn't speak to anyone. <laughs> Is, is that <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay yeah exactly <laughs> he's just a raver right that's, that's yeah. what's happening yeah. <laughs> Just a church rave. Yeah, I mean, it, it did feel like three nights joined together. Like, the daytime scenes were very short. Yeah. Like, there wasn't a sense of passage of time. Suddenly it was like, oh, it's night again. I didn't realise. Yeah. Um, well, the second night didn't last very long either. Yeah. She barely seemed to get it, sort of like two rotations in her flying coffin before the, the <laughs> cockerel was crowing and it was all over. Yeah. Yeah, he got lucky the second night. That was <laughs> fast. <laughs> But I mean, the whole premise, the whole Three Nights thing starts, I think, uh, when we're already halfway into the movie. And it's a very short movie, so there's not much time. No, Mm, I believe it's what Mysterium Pictorum would call a feature-length short. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) I think also the third night wasn't scary, as opposed to what you described, Lars, in the, the first witch scene in the barn. It's because it's too bright. The third night scary witch scene you could see everything yeah Mm. it's almost like i wanted it to do the thing that hollywood normally does where everything's far too dark and you can't (laughs) see anything but it does kind of hide the bad effects yeah because you see everything yeah and it doesn't look great no, you see all the seams. Yeah. A lot of seams. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Digitally remastered uh, on Blu-ray now, <laughs> if you so wish. So it might be one of those films that suffers as a result of its careful restoration. <laughs> yeah. But I do like the creature design of the 2014 version better, but I like uh, the creature scene of this one better somehow. Because mm. it's just a lot more charming. Seeing all those handmade things. Um, so, yeah, it, it suffers as a horror film, but I just decided it's not trying to be a horror film. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it was. I mean, contemporary reports are of Russian moviegoers shrieking in terror and finding the whole thing a really? terrible ordeal. Yeah, yeah. Where did you find those? In the commentary track for the British um, Blu-ray release. Oh, mine doesn't have a commentary track. I was so disappointed by that. Ah, I will send it to you. <laughs> <laughs> it's some British uh, writer talking at great length, and he said that it supposedly it did create panic and terror in people. You know, the same sort of things you hear about The Exorcist when it debuted. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. But I think it's because it showed the terror. Like it actually showed Hmm. stuff. Comparing it to The Haunting where you you don't really see anything. You see a door kind of heave in and out and that's about it. Hmm. With this, you actually do see like a witch floating around, Hmm. which I had never really seen in the 60s movie. And like a coffin being bashed around and then like all the demons and ridiculous stuff at the end. I mean, it's a lot. A lot of the effects I thought were really, really good. Like very subtle. Like the way that she floats out of the coffin and into the coffin mm-hmm. was done really well. Like I couldn't 
see the strings. It wasn't very obvious. The beginning of the flying sequence too, like when he when he just started flying. Yes. La- la- later it became more obvious, but in that first shot, I actually don't know how they did it. No, mm. I think they must be on strings for that first shot, and then when it switches to the composite sort of uh, or back projected shot, all of a sudden it's phony as all hell. Yeah. And again, I was confused because the music has this lovely choir piece, and it's all sort of magical, and you think, oh, is he having a good time? Is this <laughs> like an E.T. moment? Is he going to go across the moon at some point or what? But no, apparently it was a horror moment because then he beats her to death. So yeah, it's all a bit muddled. <laughs> yeah. Problematic scene, potentially. Mm. There's a little bit of information I got from the commentary that Conrad kindly sent me to do with the monsters. So in the in the subtitled translation, she says come like vampires and werewolves, but she actually says Upers and Verdelax, and they're both a type of vampire, apparently. So the first type is uh, they do have teeth, but they can extend their mouth to like really feast on flesh, oh. apparently. Like the Guillermo del Toro ones in, in Blade 2? Yeah. Oh, maybe, yeah. <laughs> and the second vampire, the Verdelax, um, feed off the ones that you love the most. Oh. So Specific. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's very typical Russian bleakness, yes. Yeah, I heard people complain that the subtitles in general aren't the greatest. I have a favorite quote later, um, which also sounds like it got uh, destroyed in the translation. Um, (laughs) So there seems to be a lot uh, that gets lost. Yeah, Yeah, well, I mean, at least it was still in the original language because the only version of the Forbidden Kingdom that I could find was dubbed in English. And it's the worst dubbing I've ever heard. It's like, are these actually actors? Why are these just people off the street? <laughs> it's just so bad. The really weird thing is Jason Fleming, who is English, is dubbed yeah. in English. Mm-hmm. And he appears to be speaking another language. And I'm not sure what he's speaking. I know he's fluent in French. I didn't know he was fluent in Russian. So, Well, I don't know. Like, I think it's just bad syncing or something. Uh, but I assume they had to redub all the English parts because... The whole dialogue soundtrack would have been, because it was location dialogue, so it would have all merged together. There's no way to separate the Russian from the English. So, yeah, they had to redub. I guess, did Jason Fleming redub himself? That would have been a weird experience. Yeah, I think it was done that way. Like uh, when they used to do this kind of international project, mainly in Italy in the Uh, 70s and 80s, I think they didn't even bother to record sound on set at all. No, they They just uh, had everything dubbed. Yes. um, Yes. Which maybe they did for this too. It certainly sounded that way. Mm. I mean, we get every movie dubbed in Germany, so I don't think um, people here would take issue with that. And I'm quite used to the uh, weird aesthetics of that. Right, Um, yes. But but yeah, it, it really bothers one when watching it right it makes the film appear far worse yeah mm. i mean it wasn't great but, but, yeah. <laughs> but, but speaking of dubbing that um alexander tushko guy i think the best chance english-speaking listeners have of uh, having heard of him is uh, mystery science theater 3000 yes right yeah a lot of his films featured on there because they were released in america in terrible bastardized recuts with yeah. english dubs that make them even more atrocious so it's a shame because this guy who was sort of the ray harryhausen of russia and created all the these unique special effects with stop motion and compositing and so on is just being mocked on <laughs> mystery science yeah. theater. It's unfortunate because I really do want to watch some of his movies because in the commentary they mention he directed the new Gulliver movie, which uh, was being described as one of the first feature length animation movies. Apparently it was two years before Snow White and he's done some other notable films, the stone flower and the sword and the dragon which apparently was the first Soviet film in stereo. Mm. Some pretty uh, pivotal moments in Russian history that I guess no one's ever going to see outside of Russia. I once went on quite a rabbit hole because many of those old Russian films are actually on YouTube in their entirety. Ah. Many of Ptushko's films too. The ones that I saw back then did not have any uh, English or um, any subtitles I could understand, so I would just skip through them. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, he has like a visual style that really does not um, deserve just mockery. Mm. Mm, yeah, definitely ahead of its time. Yeah. yeah. Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Mobley Awards. 
It's the Movie Awards. It's where we put forth our favourite cackling witch parts of the film in a number of levitatingly demonic categories. Best quote. So um, my favorite quote uh, was, um, by the shades of night, may he go blind, turn his hair white, bewitch him, cover him with snow. Because it's just so weird. It seems to be very much mangled by translation. Right. Um, yes. <laughs> also, the direct effect of this is his hair turning white, which I think is a good look for him. Uh, yeah. It looks very stylish. And... Um, He does not go blind, and that does not uh, get mentioned at all. I love the I love the <laughs> chaos of this, the anarchic chaos of this badly translated quote. <laughs> I really like that. Yeah, no, I just assumed oh this is like some poetic like folklore <laughs> stuff, but I guess yeah, bad translation makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Dan? I don't. Yeah, so I I found it really hard finding a favorite quote because probably because of the translation. Uh, but mm. I did find there was one dialogue scene between Koma and the, the girl's father and he's trying to escape he's trying to beg with him to to leave the town and the father says I'll order the guards to lash you and there's nothing so excruciating it's a leather lash on raw flesh <laughs> he says what you don't know is how good my men are at it they lash you then we give them some vodka And then they begin again. It's like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know, it's, it's going to get really serious once there's some vodka involved with Russians. <laughs> Especially based on what we've seen in previous scenes. I mean, they, they know how to party, don't they? Mm. <laughs> that was one scene that I didn't understand. You know, in the bar when Koma is um, yeah paralytic and he sees three different oh, yeah. versions of that big guy. Yeah. He's trying to lure him into a room. Am I misreading what's going on there? There's something, the translation that came up on my screen was, come on, nobody will know. And I thought, pardon? What, what's happening here? But maybe that was just me. <laughs> Best hair or costume? But I'm sure everyone is going to take this one. The mustache guy. Yes. So the one he sees three times, right? Oh, yeah. You can't top that. With the shaved head. Yes. And the, 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 it's like a modern haircut. Like, yeah. I feel like he's straight out of like a middle band. <laughs> like he's got a shaved head and this like wispy like thing like parted over. It's, and then his Viking beard. Yeah. Yeah. That also lends credence to my um, rave theory, oh, because, because yeah. you would encounter this guy uh, in Berlin uh, during, <laughs> during that weekend. Um, he'd definitely be in Berghain or something. Yeah, it's interesting that the remake, for some reason, retains all the hairstyles from the original. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes. Like the, instead I of, love that. Instead of just one guy with that hairstyle, there are five guys with that oh, exact... Everyone! <laughs> Because it's the best hairstyle. <laughs> They know too. Yes. The really weird thing about that is that it's the actor, is the same actor that plays the rector right at the very beginning of the movie. Oh, is it? Right. Just Yeah, really? just, yeah. This is—he's wearing a huge beard and is hiding the stupid head. So, yeah. Orthodox Dumbledore. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Most sixties moment. I don't know. Um, this this might be completely wrong because it's such an alien era mm. and place. But the didactic scene in the end—I um, know that from. I used to own uh, records from East Germany, which was part of the Soviet Union, uh, from the 60s, 70s, 80s, like uh, records on which fairy tales would get told, uh -huh. pretty similarly to this, and in a in a very creepy way too. I think that uh, made me like horror stuff. And those would also only uh, always end with a moral, like uh, right, then so right. someone would come up and, and tell you what this was all about. And that uh, also reminds me of tons of socialist uh, stuff like especially East German stuff where in the end somebody would explain what right, you're supposed to right. um, go home with so that I thought maybe maybe that's 1960s Soviet mm. yeah typical of that I don't know I believe yeah. it let's go over that yeah it sounds good <laughs> <laughs> Favorite scene I have to say the, the the creature extravaganza in the end when the witch summons the vampires and werewolves uh, yeah. and and like we've discussed the scene at length i think yeah i think that's the, the the moment when this film really gets so completely unique and bonkers and unforgettable <laughs> reminded me of the moment in uh, cabin in the woods i'm gonna spoil that too now when they are in the in the basement and all the all the elevators open up and all the creatures come out uh -huh. but those were all cgi so um 
So this is more charming. Yes. Yeah, the bonkers aspect of that scene did remind me of. Have you seen a Japanese film called Haosu? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> just crazy. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that actually really similar to Haosu because Haosu was also so uh, theatrical in a way. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. had these weird tone shifts. Yeah, yeah, and like the severed head that was just bouncing around, and, and, <laughs> and then the piano that was obviously just animated over, but it looked crazy at the same time. That yeah. was eating people. Yeah, it's a weird movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was your favorite scene, Dan? My favorite scene. I think I've already mentioned it, but the first night in the church scene. Mm. It was just. I, I did like sort of the the rules and the law, the fact that he would draw the the circle and chalk around him. Uh, it really reminded me of, of the TV show Supernatural, where they're just constantly putting like salt circles around everything. It's just yeah, right. it's just stupid. <laughs> um, the atmosphere of the church was amazing, especially that first night with all the candles and all the, all the um, imagery of all the the saints and, and biblical figures on the walls, and the fact that the church was quite strange looking as well. It was all wooden. Mm. It looked very run down, very I guess like in a in a small village. And the atmosphere of that first night was just amazing and, and really terrifying with, with the witch yeah. floating around and, and, and sort of circling him as well. Yeah, I really enjoyed that moment too. And I thought the church setting was really amazing because even the religious paintings on the wall are like really creepy. Really, <laughs> really creepy. Yeah. yeah. The eyes. They kept showing, I thought he was grumpy Jesus, but apparently he's John the Baptist. <laughs> okay. Right. The, the, right. the really evil looking one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. The, there's a face on the ceiling as well. Like, whoa, yeah. that's terrifying. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Most cliche horror moment. Uh, yeah, I, I struggled with this because everyone, every, everything was so weird. It, mm. it was hard uh, for me to, to, to call anything cliched because I hadn't seen it that way, um, in, in, done in that way before. Um, I thought then maybe the way that the character were being pricks um, at the market because that reminded me of American slasher films or like Eli Roth characters. Oh, yeah. you, would, you would see these people like especially yeah. in Hostel. Um, they, they, they were behaving exactly like the Hostel uh, characters. They were they were harassing uh, a woman they were they were cause, causing havoc they they had no respect so uh, yeah maybe maybe that was the most cliche horror thing uh, that I yeah. could make out here that's a, mm. that's a really good pick yeah yeah I think it's so you enjoy them being killed in gruesomely graphic ways oh yeah yeah, yeah. mine I think is uh, the obligatory cat jump Although oh. it has to be said that it's quite an inventive one because to get three cats to run across the scene in, in unison, I think is really impressive. I mean, I, I can't get a cat to do anything. Mm, right. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, it's, uh, it, it just goes with, like, I guess the lore of, of witches as well. And, and mm. I mean, I, for cliche for me, I just put levitating, you know, demons, witches, just always floating around. And was that a cliche back in the 60s? I don't know. But uh, it's it's definitely one now. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Best special effect. In terms of fun, I put down the sock puppet skeleton. Oh, right. <laughs> because like, this, this, this film has, has two categories of, of special effects. Like Some of them are genuinely kind of impressive, uh -huh. but most of them are just goofy and, and, and fun. And I thought those really uh, embody uh, the latter um, category. But uh, yeah, uh, as, as mentioned before, I I found the beginning of the flight uh, sequence quite impressive because other than most other effects I could not see at least I mean I probably can deduct how they did it but um, it's it, it wasn't visible to me so mm. um, I was impressed yeah, mm. yeah 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 me too how about you Dan I actually did quite like the triple drunk guy scene yeah yeah <laughs> It was just kind of well done, and the fact that it was like a blue screen, but the blue screen footage was kind of moving around, and so it had this effect of really feeling like you were drunk as the, mm. the main character. I mean, nowadays they would have just used like a steady cam, but back then I guess they didn't have steady cams, and it just, yeah, it was very odd and mm. yeah. pretty well done. Like, I couldn't see any split lines or anything, it looked like three identical guys just asking for sexual favors or whatever i don't know i don't know what he was doing <laughs> my favorite is actually from another 
possibly sexual scene, which is uh, when Coma is mounted by the witch, because it, it completely took me by surprise, because he's like stiff as a board and just lowers sort of down to yeah, the floor so yeah. that she can get on top of him and then comes back up again. <laughs> yeah. And it just, it looks really weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I did really appreciate the revolving sets as he like takes off as well. Yeah. Because you don't realise it's, it's revolving for, uh, for a split second. It's like, oh, hang on. <laughs> We're seeing the same bush again and again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I can still see it. It's just in the distance. Yeah. Now it's coming back. <laughs> yeah. Favourite sound effect. The only thing I noted down was the cats who sound like sort of uh, gremlins gargling oh. on something as they run through, <laughs> which I kind of enjoyed. Right. Yes. <laughs> there wasn't much that no. was particularly notable no, in terms of really. sound design. Yeah. Most funniest moment. For me, the coffin surfing. Uh, uh. I, I laughed a lot at that. The way she stood there and she had like this surfing pose and the moment in which that happened because that was supposed to be a scary scene and it was just, that was hilarious to me. Probably not on purpose, but that was the, the scene in which I laughed the most when I rewatched it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, me too. And oh, it's even funnier when you, you hear the behind the scenes story that she fell out at one point. Was it? <laughs> No. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, she did, but fortunately her co-star broke her fall for her, so she was fine, but he had to take a few days off because he was quite badly bruised. Oh, <laughs> wow. yeah. Wow. And she was afraid of heights, so <laughs> why did she take this role? Wow. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, and that's our move, please. Yes! Hi, this is Lotta Lusten, and you're listening to Movie Oubliette. Okay, it's final verdict time. Should V be freed from its coffin, its eyes revealed to the whole world to be loved by everyone, or should it be beaten with a stick and sent to hell with the other <laughs> face-painted grey demons never to be seen again? Uh, Lars, you introduced us to this uh, wonderful movie. V, what's your final verdict for this movie? Does it hold up? I think it does, in a way. I think it's a fun and breezy 78 minutes. It has creative uh, visuals of all kinds. It's very eager to entertain. Like It throws so much stuff at you. Uh, it's, I guess it's hard to be bored uh, by this. <laughs> it has an inspiring mythology. Uh, it doesn't deliver it quite well in the end, but that only adds to the fun and the charm. Um, it's an interesting document of its time being uh, the, I guess, at least most well-known Soviet horror film by now. It's a, a very early instance of folk horror, which people love today. So um, if you're interested in your genre... Go watch it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, yeah, it's refreshingly strange, uh, which uh, often comes uh, with uh, films coming from an unknown place and era. I love the Haosu comparison. So I would say if you like uh, The Wicker Man, stuff like that, and, and Haosu, then um, this is an odd mixture of those that you will find nowhere else. So this should be freed. Mm -hmm. Well, uh what Lars said, uh, yep, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I agree a hundred percent. I think the two the two main things that make this film watchable is the visuals for sure. Like I'd never really seen something like this, especially from a sixties film. And yeah, the folklore of of the the three knights and the witch, and then she comes alive, and the crazy scene with the demons at the end. Yes, so all of that. Mm watch it <laughs> yeah and the, and the music is good and the characters uh i think the performances are great i mean even though the lead character is pretty unlikable he's kind of goofy so you, you go along with it so it's, it's almost like a proto ash from the evil dead it's just this dumb guy that doesn't know what he's doing yeah. <laughs> trying yeah. to scrape by so yeah and it's short so you know it's it's not going to bore you i mean it's not going to scare you to be honest <laughs> It's not like some horror treasure from the troves that's still going to creep you out with its atmosphere in the way that some classic movies do, but it is fun to watch and the visuals are pretty inventive, uh, if at times inadvertently funny. But yeah, I certainly wasn't bored. <laughs> so. mm. Yeah, yeah. I, d I do think it's actually a bit scary in, in parts. Not the whole film and definitely not the last yeah. scene, but there are moments that I was really surprised how terrifying it was, mm. comparing it to other horrors from the 60s yes sometimes it really nails the atmosphere mm. Like, mm. yes 
Yes, it really does. Yeah, and surprisingly modern in a way when you compare it to other films of the era too. So, mm, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. So remember, listeners, just be more Christian and you'll survive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> okay. All right. Fly away, V. <laughs> well, Lars, it's been amazing having you on the show. Thank you so much for coming and thanks for introducing us to V. Where can people find more of your views on films and, and your own work as well? Thank you so much for having me. As stated before, there's the Mysterium Pictorum series on the Lars Henriks International Podcast. Uh, which is narcissistically named, but um, it's it's the truth. It's my podcast. Um, <laughs> then there's www.lashenriks.de. I quit all social media until I recently joined TikTok. <laughs> so um, there's at Lars Henriks on TikTok. Great. And I try to upload funny content there. Great. So come come over to TikTok. And, yeah. So look forward to Lars doing a, a dance video to V. On TikTok. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's that's what I'm going to do today. <laughs> Follow me on TikTok to see uh, the V dance, you know, the, the one oh, uh, the, the lead does. The flute, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, Movie Oubliette isn't on TikTok, but we're on everything else, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as Movie Oubliette. And you can email us at movie.oubliette at gmail.com. We love your long letters telling us all about your experience of watching the movie. Yes, yes. And if you have actually watched V, yeah, we would love to hear what you think of it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> and don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes or your podcast platform of choice. It really helps us in terms of uh, spreading the good word and attracting new listeners. Yes, yes, yes. And we are on patreon as well so if you want to help us out with some money one dollar a month gets access to extended segment and for five dollars you get access to that mini-sode mm. where we discuss new movies yes our most recent episode we talked about oxygen which is on netflix now and that was good fun mm. so yeah check it out check it out check mm. it out but what movie will we be doing next time, Dan? Well, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a patron's choice. Mm. So I uh, gotta bring out that wheel. Mm. Okay. Dust down the old Oubliette roulette. Yes, yes. Shall I give it a spin? Please do. Okay. Here we go. Oh, oh it's spinning. Oh, it's really fast. Oh yeah. Oh. 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 Oh, oh, the Andromeda strain. Oh, Michael Crichton. So, a, a Robert Wise movie, the director behind Star Trek, the motion picture, and the sound of music. Right, yes. Uh, directing a film based on a novel by the famous Michael Crichton, he of Jurassic Park. And this was suggested to us by our patron Isaac. So thanks for that, Isaac. Mm, mm. I, this is uh, one of the few movies that I have read the book and not seen Ooh. the movie, so oh wow, okay. To check this yeah, out. you could compare. Well, I read yes. it when I was like a teenager, but <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think I remember it. And it's topical too because it's about a viral outbreak. It is. <laughs> so, it is. <laughs> so, well, strap yourselves in for that if you want that kind of content. Yes. People. <laughs> yes. Thanks again, Lars, for joining us on this episode, listeners. Tune in next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. We review the films others tend to forget. Come with us and open up the movie Juliet. By the shades of night, may he go blind, turn his hair white.